0: As they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So over
2: the years, Kat and I've had this good-natured argument about convertibles and uh, <laughs> and their merits versus disadvantages. And I'm I'm pro convertible.
1: Mm. And yeah, I am not.
2: We're we're down here in Florida. We see a lot of them.
1: Yeah. we Driving around, you get to see incredible cars that you don't get to see in Maine. So we're always back and forth about, I like this car. I don't like that car. Why can't I find one of the new Broncos that's not a sport? You know, <laughs> we're always talking cars, which sounds weird, but it's true. And it, you just really love a convertible. What? And I just... Ugh.
2: See, I'm a motorcycle guy, too, and mm-hmm. I, I love the feeling of the wind in your face, and, and so I'm thinking having a convertible would be a similar experience, but with four wheels.
1: Yeah, I don't I, I don't like it.
2: And none of your arguments ever convinced me until uh, you explained this to me the other day when we were out riding around. <laughs> <laughs> Kat says that riding in a convertible makes her whole face feel like dirty feet.
1: Yeah, that's, yep. Because, you know, I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before. Like, I can't, I hate the feeling of dirty feet. And so I'm mm-hmm. constantly washing just my feet. Like, I'll get into the tub and just wash my feet before bed. Or, you know, <laughs> and that's how my face feels after riding in a convertible, is dirty feet. And I cannot, I cannot abide.
2: I think that now I finally understand. Thank
1: you. And thank you for trying, for listening, mm-hmm. and for washing your feet. Ugh.
2: So here's something for you. And my approach to this story might surprise you. Uh, There are a couple of islands in New York, in the city, in the East River and surrounding rivers that have a dark and disturbing past, Mm. a past that many say has left a disturbing imprint causing unrest and paranormal activity.
1: Well, you've said disturbing twice already, so I know I'm in.
2: It's disturbing. (laughs) Many strange anomalies have been witnessed over the decades that continue to this day. Ghost sightings to shadow people to poltergeist activity. I am not going to talk about that. Oh, oh, okay. I'm not going to talk about the paranormal activity because it's, it's pretty much what you would expect. What I want to talk about is the history, the dark history of these islands that may have caused the environment that, uh, that created these possible paranormal experiences. Oh,
1: I see.
2: The most famous of the two is Rikers Island. And its history of turmoil is well documented. It's well known for its prison and the uh, prison's historical reputation for the mistreatment of prisoners and the poor condition of the facility. But the history of Rikers goes back even further. The island that the jail sits on is named after Abraham Riker, who was a Dutch immigrant. It's a great name. He acquired the land in the early 1600s, and it stayed in the family until... 1884 when the family sold it to new york city abraham's descendant richard Riker was infamous in the 1800s leading up to the sale of the island for abusing the fugitive slave act mm. he would send or sell free african americans in new york to slave owners in the south uh, according to historians and according to bloomberg it's for this reason that That Harlem Historical Society director Jacob Morris has spearheaded a petition to rename Rikers Island jail facilities and distance itself from Richard Riker's racism. Morris told DNAinfo.com that the jail is, quote, the spider at the center of the web. Of New York's role in the slave trade, and that there's nothing socially redeeming about Richard Riker.
1: I have a question though. Wasn't it Riker? Wasn't Riker the brother of the guy who owned the island, or did I miss here? He
2: he was a descendant of the man who uh, he owned it, but he was the descendant of the man who uh, originally owned. Okay. Yeah, Richard Riker. So it wasn't
1: named after Richard Riker. It was named after Richard Riker's
2: ancestor. Right. Yes. This is just one of the many facts about Rikers Island that can uh, contribute to its disturbing history. Located in the East River between Queens and Bronx, it's home to New York City's main jail complex. It's also been used as a mental health facility, and there have been allegations over the years of patient and inmate abuse. Mm. Today, the island is home to what's being described as one of the world's largest correctional facilities and mental institutions. There is a plan in place to decommission it by the year 2026, but it began in the year 1883. The New York Commissioner of Charities and Corrections expressed an interest in buying the island for use as a workhouse. Uh, On the 4th of August in 1844, the Commissioner of Charities and Corrections, signed a contract and purchased the island from John Wilson, who was a descendant of the Riker family. And it sold for $180,000. That's a lot of money for the day. Yeah. In 1925, the city decided to open the jail for men on Rikers to replace what was a dilapidated and overburdened jail on Welfare Island, which is now known as Roosevelt Island. It officially opened in 1932. Its reputation has grown over the decades A reputation for violence as well as abuse and Mm -hmm. neglect of inmates, many inmates and patients have suffered violent ends at Rikers Island, as well as the uniformed and civilian staff being victims of numerous assaults. It's just not a fun place to be.
1: No, it doesn't sound like it.
2: In 2013, Rikers Island was ranked as one of the 10 worst correctional facilities in the U.S. Based on its violence.
1: That's not a list that you want to be on.
2: no. And violence on Rikers continues to increase year after year, right up until this day. Rikers was not only the dumping ground for convicted criminals and institutionalized mental patients, it literally was a dumping ground.
1: Oh, no. For
2: garbage.
1: Oh, but that probably means there's lots of birds.
2: And rats. They have a real rat problem there. I saw a rat in New York once. You coax it out from under a bench with a granola bar, if I recall.
1: And then I made a design uh, for my T Public store that says "I Heart Pizza Rat," but it looks like the <laughs> "I Heart New York" logo. Uh, right? Yeah.
2: The copyright lawsuit is still pending. Shush. So basically, this island was used as a landfill until 1922. New York just dumped their garbage in the ocean. They just dra- drag it out to sea and dump it in the ocean.
1: What is it? The Thames. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes.
2: That was the year, 1922, that New York City was banned by the courts from dumping any more garbage at sea. So much of it ended up on Rikers. Now, even before they started dumping more garbage after this court decision on Rikers, there were already 12 mountains of garbage up to 130 feet tall apiece on Rikers. There was a lot of garbage there already. In addition to that, it took 1.5 more million cubic yards of rubbish, which is more than the amount of dirt displaced by the building of the World Trade Center.
1: Wow.
2: In fact, the island, which was originally 90 acres in size, was enlarged, mostly due to the garbage, to 415 acres. Most of it garbage.
1: Uh, it What?
2: But don't worry, ultimately 200 acres of the landfill was stripped away from Rikers and used to fill in what is what was then the new North Beach Airport that opened in 1939. That's now LaGuardia.
1: LaGuardia but, is built on trash? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: But even with those acres removed, there was a net expansion due to the landfill, and uh, this allowed the jail facilities to expand. They did take a few more loads of garbage away in 1939 because the World's Fair was coming to town. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the fairgrounds, the backdrop was uh, Rikers Island piled with garbage. So they thought, let's clean it up a little bit. Just enough
1: to make the view nice.
2: The city's garbage was sent elsewhere, ultimately, to Fresh Kills Landfill on uh, Staten Island.
1: Fresh Kills Landfill?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yep. That sounds welcoming. It sounds like the perfect makings for a state motto on your license plate. The Fresh Kills Landfill State. Rikers has become notorious in recent years for a culture of abuse, and it has been subject to a number of investigations and rulings. There are, there are way too many examples to cite. But one notable case was that of Kalief Browder, He was 16 years old and was accused of stealing a backpack, and his family wasn't able to come up with a $3,000 bail, so Browder was imprisoned without trial or conviction for three years. His trial was postponed on numerous occasions. The case was eventually dismissed, and Browder was released in June of 2013, this after numerous postponements and 31 hearings in front of judges for something that, he, the case was dismissed. He was 16 and accused of stealing a backpack, and he spent three years. And two of those years, Browder was held in solitary confinement or punitive segregation.
1: Do you get some sort of reimbursement for that?
2: Well, I don't know what the outcome was there other than in 2015, Browder died by suicide, by, by hanging. Violence and inmate and patient abuse are not the only horrific contribution to Rikers' history. Rikers, as I mentioned, is close to LaGuardia. And on February 1st, 1957, Northeast Airline Flight 823 crashed into Rikers Island shortly after takeoff, killing 20 and injuring 78 of the 95 passengers. So you've got an overcrowded prison... With lousy facilities built on a garbage dump and then a plane crashes into it. My goodness. But Rikers isn't the only island in New York that has a dark history. The inmates of Riker are also tasked with the burials and maintenance or have been for years of the mass graves that are on Hart Island. Hart Island has an equally dark history as Rikers. Hart has served as a location for insane asylums, hospitals for deadly diseases prisoner of war camps, and also the city's 10th potter's field, beginning way back in 1868. It's a place where unclaimed bodies, or those who were unable to afford a proper burial, would end up. It's only about 101 acres, but there are over 1 million bodies buried there. Oof. How do you
1: even know where to dig?
2: Yeah, at this point, I think it's just, you know, you turn a shovel full of dirt over and just hope for the best. Now, the problem is the dead are starting to rise up. Not a zombie attack. Of course. Soil erosion. It's begun to unearth many of the mass graves for these unfortunate and forgotten people. In the month of April of 2018, 174 different remains were gathered for reinterment. During the inspection that was taking place when these uh, remains were discovered, photographs were taken of hundreds of other human remains just jutting out from the soil. This is due to the island's shoreline erosion. The city was warned about this as early as the 1990s, but nobody really listened until the body started
1: showing up. It's not a problem until it's a problem.
2: Melinda Hunt is the founder of the Heart Island Project, and she said, quote, there have been skeletal remains falling onto the beach for 33 years. I have a sanitation report from 1985 saying it is a common occurrence. Mostly due to storms, tides, and floods, the soil on the island is eroding. It took a huge hit after uh, Hurricane Sandy. Mm. That was a big problem. And even though the island is overflowing with dead bodies, Over a million in a hundred-acre parcel, nearly a thousand more unknown people continue to be buried on the island every year. There are no official gravestones that exist for the up to uh, 1,000 bodies buried in mass graves each year. They just put little granite stumps where the mass graves are located. The inmates from Rikers will dig a trench that can hold up to 15, I'm sorry, 150 bodies or nearly a thousand children and babies in pine boxes. But fortunately, the Heart Island Project is trying to document the identities and location of the bodies going forward anyway. They maintain a database of individuals buried there, and uh, they provide GPS-assisted maps to the graves. Also, uh, an interactive website that allows visitors to read about the one million forgotten people that are buried on the island. So the emergence of the human remains on Hart Island in 2018 resulted in a bill that took control of the potter's field away from the Department of Corrections and the inmate labor and put it on the Department of Parks and Recreation. They're they're now in charge of the cemetery's maintenance. I guess that makes some sense.
1: Yeah, Leslie Nope won't let that shit continue.
2: In November of 2019, New York City Council passed the bill. And in December of that year, Mayor Bill de Blasio signed it into law. So I got through all of that information and I I only touched on some of the dark things that have happened on these islands in the rivers of New York City. And I got through it all without saying that they're haunted as hell. (laughs) You know they are. There's so much negative energy on those islands and and, and disinterred bodies. There've got to be restless spirits. There's got to be people wandering around just really pissed off that they were buried in a garbage dump. I know I would be. In fact, in my hometown in northern Maine, in Holton, Maine, Evergreen Cemetery is the big cemetery Mm -hmm. there. And it occupies both sides of a road and one half borders on the road on one side and then a river on the other. And on the other side of the river, which is maybe 20 feet wide, more like a stream, is a garbage dump. And growing up, they weren't just burying garbage, they were burning it. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to visit my great-grandfather's grave and standing there, paying my respects, overlooking a burning garbage fire.
1: That is, uh, that's not really the image and reverence that you want (laughs) for that kind of moment.
2: If you want to see what that uh, cemetery looks like, The movie Salem's Lot, the original television movie, Stephen King, uh, they filmed the graveyard scenes there because it is the only cemetery in the state of Maine next to a public landfill, which I think is going on the license plates up there.
1: It's almost as nice as Fresh Kills Landfill.
2: My source material, Wikipedia, Ranker,
0: Bloomberg, and History.com. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. that thing in the middle.
2: In a cave in Peru, archaeologists made a stunning discovery in 2016. What they discovered so far has defied explanation. What they uncovered was a giant, three-fingered humanoid hand. Now some believe that it's a hoax, but tests from medical experts report it's biological and composed of skin and bone. The x-rays revealed six bones in each finger, and experts estimate the hand belonged to an individual that was 2.7 to 3 meters tall. Furthermore, the finger does not belong to any of the three-fingered creatures known here on Earth. Further study in DNA testing is currently underway.
0: the podcast now in a convenient travel size that fits in your pocket or purse and in three new scents freshly cut coconut summer breeze and something died in the attic this is the box of oddities
2: eva sent us an email i love this one uh it's in regards to uh our dildo find or your dildo find. Kat found a dildo in the streets of downtown Orlando. Um, she I said, know
1: I'm not the only one. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> your dildo find made me laugh. 25 years ago, dildos were not actively discussed publicly. I was a much younger person. Okay, virgin. Was out mowing my rental house yard. I found what I thought was a broken starter pot. But no, just a giant dildo. I told everyone that I knew that I could grow dildos in my yard. <laughs> Imagine if I could, I'd be a billionaire. Thanks, Eva. And good luck with your dildo farm. Also, you know how we talk about the eleven eleven phenomena. We always see 11s everywhere we go, or 11-11 particularly. Uh, and also just repeating number sequences. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon at uh, 2.22 in the afternoon. So it's 2.22 on 22222. Does that make you happy?
1: It makes me so happy.
2: <laughs> and now what you got for me?
1: Born in 1929 in the Philippines, Teresita Basa came to the US in the 60s in the hopes of you know, the American dream. She wanted to study music and became a respiratory therapist. She worked at the Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. She had a pretty chill life. She would go to work. She would come home to her apartment on Pine Grove Avenue in Lincoln Park. And she was also pursuing her master's degree. Again, she was studying music. And so she would frequently give out complimentary piano lessons to neighborhood children. She was quiet, unassuming, but she was driven and kind, And on February 21st, 1977, a friend, Ruth, phoned Teresita around 7.30 p.m. They chatted for about 30 minutes. Teresita mentioned that she had a friend coming over and the phone call ended. It was not long after that that neighbors alerted a maintenance worker that they were smelling smoke. He called 911, and around 8.40 p.m., firefighters responded to Bass's 15th-floor apartment. Once inside, they discovered a mattress in the middle of the living room on fire.
2: Wow. Normal, I mean, everybody knows that when you're having a mattress fire, you take it outside.
1: Yeah, but in this case, unfortunately, it wasn't just a mattress on fire. Firefighters discovered Teresita under the mattress. Wow. She had been stripped naked and had a butcher knife plunged into her chest. Clothes were thrown over her body before she and the mattress were set on fire. All
2: right. That tells me, based on what I've learned from watching Criminal Minds, that that murder was personal and that there was some level of regret because they covered the body up.
1: Well, they covered it with a burning mattress, so I don't know if that counts.
2: <laughs> okay. That's that's a valid point. Yeah. It
1: wasn't like leaves or flowers or something. Mm-hmm. Despite initial appearances, Terracita was not the victim of a sexual assault. Her apartment had been ransacked, but the fire had destroyed most physical evidence. One piece of evidence that was found was a memo that she had written that stated, Get theater tickets for A.S. Police were unsure if that memo was related to the crime, but took note of it nonetheless. With so little to work with, and after weeks of interviewing friends and relatives, all stating the same thing, that they could think of no one who wanted to harm Teresita Bassa. Five months passed, and police were at a dead end. That is, until Remy Chua, another native from the Philippines, and her husband, Joe, contacted Detective Joe Statula, claiming to have information about Teresita's murder. Remy had worked at Edgewater Hospital with Teresita, and her husband, Joe, was a doctor. He told the detectives that his wife had become possessed by someone claiming to be Teresita Bassa on three occasions. What? According to Remy's husband, during one of these episodes, Remy began talking in her sleep, except he said the voice did not belong to his wife. Dr. Tua claimed his wife said while she was, quote, in a trance, doctor, I would like to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at
2: large. Okay. Then this would happen at night when they were in bed asleep?
1: Well, she would be in this trance right. situation and-
2: Would they be in bed or- Yeah. See, how horrifying is that? <laughs>
1: Can you imagine if I rolled over and a different voice came out of my face hole and I was all like, sir, I need your assistance.
2: I have been murdered. Yeah, I would pack and leave.
1: Aw. Yeah,
2: and I love you and everything, but <laughs> I have my limitations I don't know. when it comes to possession.
1: I have a feeling that you'd be like, I
2: told you. <laughs> yeah, I told you it was real. But then you wouldn't know it because you would be possessed. That's right. And I would not be able to lord it over you, at least until I you know, exercised the spirit, and then I would lord it over you.
1: The doctor said he was really surprised and scared, obviously. Okay, sure, Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. Um, But she said I had nothing to be scared of. She was pleading for me to help solve her murder.
2: And she identified herself by name. Yes. Good Lord.
1: The disembodied voice of Teresita through his wife told Joe that her killer's name was Alan Showery. Showery worked as an orderly at the hospital that both Remy and Teresita had worked at. But when Remy woke up, she had no recollection of what she had said to Joe. Oh, my God. And Joe was like, yeah, okay, well, let's never talk about this again. But Joe noticed that his wife had been acting increasingly unlike herself in the months after the murder and he didn't want to look foolish like going to the police and and being yeah. all hey so my wife was asleep but then this voice that wasn't hers came out of her yeah. and was like I'm all Teresita bata,' and it, you know <laughs> so he was he didn't want to have to explain this incredible story yeah
2: that is a tough position to be in because you know that it would be the right thing to do but then everybody's going to think you're crazy and you'll probably not convince them that it actually happened.
1: Also, keep this in mind. Joe, the husband, didn't know who Teresita Bassa was. Wow. He didn't know that she was someone that Remy used to work with. He didn't know that she'd been murdered. So maybe he just thought, okay, well, my wife is having some sort of weird sleeping mm. episode. Mm. Let's let's never go back to this ever again. Unfortunately, Teresita was not having it. <laughs> The voice possessed Remy again
2: and asked Joe
1: why he did not go to the police.
2: So he's being scolded by a disembodied spirit.
1: Yes. And Joe said, hey, uh, I have no evidence against this guy. I can't just go to the police and, and tell them this insane story. The voice then said there was proof. The voice told Joe that Showery Showery had taken Teresita's jewelry after her murder and gave it to his girlfriend. So, yeah, this is a weird uh, situation, but Joe couldn't not contact the police anymore. So detectives got this call. It's five months after the murder, and this couple wants to talk to them about this incredibly bizarre paranormal experience that they're having the detective thank goodness very open-minded and oh, was like wow. I'll, I'll listen to this all day long I've got nothing else to go on and the name that they were given Alan showery did have the initials a s oh. which matched the information from their one and only clue
2: interesting
1: so yeah it's a weird way to get a lead but the detective was into it
2: it's hard to get a warrant though, you mm. get a judge to sign off on that based on this evidence, I a- would think.
1: Absolutely. But police did conduct a background check, and they learned that Alan Showery lived near Teresa's home at the time of the murder. And during interviews with his co-workers, they said that the, he had mentioned he was visiting Teresita on the evening of her murder <laughs> to repair her television. Wow. So investigators went to Showery's apartment. He said that, yes, he had gone to Terracitas that night, but he left after he discovered that he didn't have the tools he needed to fix the TV. Detective Statula did not believe this. So he contacted Alan Showery's girlfriend, and he asked if he had given her any jewelry recently. And she said, you know what? He had. Um, oh there was a very belated Christmas gift of a couple of pieces of jewelry that, uh, yeah, she'd recently received. Two items, a pearl ring and a jade pendant. They were found among his girlfriend's possessions and she agreed to let Teresita's friends and family inspect it. They confirmed it was, in fact, Teresita's jewelry. Holy shit. Now, I don't know why, but I find two pieces of jewelry a very suspicious gift like uh, if you give me a a single nice piece of jewelry that's great but if you give me two uh, suddenly
2: especially if there's no special occasion
1: right yeah it's a belated christmas gift and it's in a ziploc baggie (laughs) i just don't like it Um, and also I don't like pearls, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. So police confronted Showery with this evidence and he confessed to Teresita's murder. Wow. He was charged and tried despite confessing his crime to detectives though. He pleaded not guilty. He said that he'd only confessed two years earlier after police had fed him information and threatened to arrest him and his pregnant girlfriend. So the trial ended in a hung jury. So it seemed for a bit like Shaori would get away with murder. But while he was waiting for a retrial in prison, he had a change of heart and pleaded guilty.
2: Huh. Was he visited at night by uh, Teresita?
1: There are those that claim exactly that. Shut up. That he was on his way to being set free and he had a midnight visitation from Terracita's ghost. I mean, she had, uh, she had allegedly shown up before, so... Why not? But the obvious explanation is that there was a sentence reduction available for him if he pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to a total of 14 years for the murder, robbery, and arson. 14 years. Mm. The case would go on to be featured on Beyond Belief, as well as Unsolved Mysteries. Which is where I heard about it. It was also included in a book, Houses of Horror, and inspired the TV film, Voices from the Grave. Teresita Bassa.
2: So here we are, you and I, I tend to lean more toward believing in paranormal activities. You tend to lean away from believing. Yes, yes. How do you feel after hearing this story? You actually reported it. How? Where do you fall on this?
1: Well, probably Remy had some weird suspicions about the guy, uh, or you know, in working together in the hospital, may have overheard something and had subconscious thoughts about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's. I mean. I either that or she she faked it and knew, you know, something was amiss and and didn't know how to but, come clean with the evidence. But
2: the uh, the jewelry, how do you explain that? Though? I don't
1: know. Maybe he told someone about it.
2: Hmm. I don't know. Sounds to me like Teresita had uh, some unfinished business to <laughs> conduct and did. Well done, Teresita.
1: I got my information from All That's Interesting, Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, The Lineup, and DNA Info.
2: That is, oh, really? I know, that's the
1: first time I've ever used that That's source. the first and time I've ever used that When you mentioned that you use DNA oh Info, I was like, excuse
2: me? <laughs> oh, taboo effect. It's <laughs> that's weird. really weird. Yeah. That was a great story. Thank you
1: you. for for bringing that. I thought you might like it.
2: I also like the fact that we're just a few weeks away from some of our live shows. I'm
0: super excited.
2: Right now we've got three on the books. We're in negotiations for a fourth. Well, not negotiations. We've reached out to a fourth. Uh, venue. And I
1: would say we're in negotiations.
2: Okay, I guess technically you could say that. I just did. And you did it well. Thank you. We're going to be in Nashville on the 29th of March at Zany's. We're going to be in Huntsville, Alabama the following night at uh, Stand Up Live. And then the night after that, the 31st of March, we're going to be at Comedy Zone in Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: Three nights in a row. Boom, boom, boom
2: tickets are available right now get your vip tickets there's still some left these tickets put you right down front and also we get to uh, meet and greet after the uh, event and we'd love to say hello to you
1: you do not have to bring us candy though many do
2: whiskey on the other hand we're all for <laughs> get your tickets at theboxofoddities.com we really look forward to seeing you guys on the road And next time
1: until then keep flying that freak flag
0: fly
2: it proudly you beautiful freak
0: and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands therefore it's been requested by those to whom i report to beseech you for assistance we ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review true That is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The Box of Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.
1: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, everyone. It's you here.
1: And I'm Gabby.
2: And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything.